You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Precision Powerlifting Systems. So, I'm going to do a quick little discussion on setting up a conjugate program for the beginner, intermediate, and advanced level lifter. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions when we go on the internet about Westside and how their programming works and all of this. So like one thing we need to take into consideration, right, is who Louis Simmons was training at Westside, right? So these are elite level lifters that are hand-selected, hand-picked by him after a tryout in the gym to be a part of one of the training groups. Um, Usually, they're not beginner or intermediate level lifters. They're being selected because they have big totals, um, or maybe they are just starting out, but their level of skill within the sport is much higher than the typical beginner. So one thing that we need to all understand is all the training you've ever done matters up to this current point for what strength you are displaying. Okay, so like for example, let's take an example. Let's take somebody who ran a West Side program for whatever they want to say on the internet, right? A year, two years, nine months, whatever it is, right? I'm actually going to use a, a real example here. Let's say somebody after a meet runs a conjugate program for nine months, stops doing the conjugate program, starts doing a daily undulated periodization type of program where there's much higher specificity, higher frequency within there, goes into a competition and hits PRs on all their lifts and obviously there's a total PR there, right? So then what you end up seeing is that person will then be, West Side sucks, it doesn't work, it didn't work for me, I stopped doing it in three months, I hit all those PRs on the platform. But where that misinformation comes from is all the training mattered. That let's say, you know, is more than nine months, but let's say that nine months of training in a conjugate program with more variation, the max effort lifts, all of that stuff, then you stop doing that and you start doing a more specific type of program and then you realize your results. So it's the combination of everything that you've done up until that point and even when you had first started lifting up until that point. So that Westside Conjugate program laid a foundation for you to build that skill upon um, later on the platform. Mind you too, like the people who scream, including this person, that Westside sucks, they, weren't do, they don't do their accessories. They make poor decisions on max effort lift, just going to an RPE 10 every time. And your max effort lifts, they're there for you to prove that what you're doing is working. And the GPP work is there for you to improve those lifts. So there's feedback being given at, at those points in time. But all training matters, not just what you did recently to recognize those personal best. So... This is why our programs look the way that they do, is I've always understood that all training matters. So that's why there's still a lot of Shaco components within our conjugate system itself. But we have many more beginners and intermediates, but there are lifters on the team now that are going from you know, that early stage intermediate and pushing deeper and deeper into that intermediate level that needs something different than the other people in the group. So when we started doing a more of a conjugate program, 
So getting back to Louie doing Louie coaching elite lifters at Westside and me having beginner and intermediates, there's there's a lot of big differences. So as training improves, so in the Russian system, right, six to nine years old, they do things such as gymnastics. It starts there. Sports, actual, their actual sport training makes up less than 5% of their total work volume. The rest is just like doing basic movement things like running, jumping, climbing, like those types of um, endeavors. Gymnastics is a big one, swimming. And then over the course of time, the GPP work starts to decrease and more sports specific work comes in and starts to increase. This keeps kind of happening in a very slow, steady pace. GPP is always a major important factor um, in their training programs, whether it's in a giant block of time or it's um, sprinkled in throughout the entire, um, all the training blocks. It still makes up a major component even later on. Um, in their development until they get into that international class. And then from there, they'll have one coach that will individualize all of that based off of the lifter themselves and the sport in which they're participating in. So one thing you got to remember, we are all built differently. Some are tall, some are short. So strengths and weaknesses in the technique of the lifts are going to be very dependent upon some of those biomechanical structures. And so training does need to mimic that and should mimic that even um, even earlier on, but once they hit that international class, the coach will sit there and individualize it based off of the athlete and the sport in which they're participating. So when they reach the age of 18 or older, right? So we're post puberty at this point, but 18 or older, that's when you start seeing those higher frequency programs brought in with the average intensity of 70% of one RM. And this is including every rep from 50% and higher. So this is your prototypical Shaco program. So if you think of it in terms of the Russian system there from six to nine is where they're starting, 18 plus is where they are um, starting to get those programs that we tend to start with here in America in our powerlifting journeys. And then, you know, the other piece you need to keep, because remember, all training matters. This even includes the sports you participated in at younger ages. So if you take, you know, a lot of top male IPF national champions here in America in the USAPL or world champions participated in sports such as football. Football from youth ages tends to have the kids in weight rooms. Um, so in a lot of cases, they basically ran the Russian system and they're getting those higher frequency programs. Even if they're just starting out in powerlifting, they have all that foundation. So now their sports specific skill of powerlifting, it's got a nice wide base to build a nice big skill on. Um, so like Taylor Atwood played in the Canadian Football League, right? I'm sure he lifted weights. Russ he played, I'm pretty sure, football at Texas Tech. Blaine Sumner played football. So if you think of a lot of these stronger male um, powerlifters, you see a really strong sports background. Bodybuilding tends to be a... Um, a nice strong base that you can build these higher frequency programs off of. So understanding where these lifters had started, like Sam Calhoun, I think was a college uh, track athlete. Um, I think Amanda Lawrence was a competitive gymnast. So there's re really strong sports backgrounds for a lot of these lifters doing more higher frequency type programming and displaying really strong results. So this is why we can't get too far ahead of ourselves and just be like, oh, well, that program has to work because it works with Sam Calhoun. Well, if you're somebody who hasn't participated in physical, in physical activity or sports at a high level or for a prolonged period of time, you don't have the same base. 
So where you're beginning out needs to be in a completely different spot. Um, you know, and if you do have a strong background in sports, but you've never really lifted weights before. So like for me, I have a strong athletic background, but I didn't do much weight room stuff. It wasn't big for the soccer team that I was on. And when I was doing the MMA stuff, it just was very difficult to get in the gym with how often I was training my sports specific skills. And so I am quick and athletic, but having that slow strength, that powerlifting type strength, I needed to develop. I also only weighed about 170 pounds when I started. I'm now 225 pounds. So at almost six feet tall, 170 pounds, I'm not built for powerlifting. So it's taken a long time for my body to kind of catch up to more mimic the athlete I need to be to put up better numbers within this sport but my total has also gone from 1050 to 1455 over the course of that time so I've put a significant amount on my total um, so with our program so when we started doing more of a conjugate type of system um, we didn't run it the exact same way as Westside. So again, getting back to the elite lifters. So the longer you participate in something, as sports performance increases, your general skills become more stable. So a group like Westside can remove the competition lifts for prolonged periods of time and not run into problems because those general skills are already stable within those lifters. With beginners and intermediates, that's not the case. They need more exposures to the competition lifts themselves to develop those skills so that they become stable over time, and then eventually they could run something that more mimics what Louis would be doing in Westside. So for us, we add in way more of the comp lifts. So every fourth week. So the comp lifts have always made up 20% of our total volume of the lifts. This, this was a number that Shaco gave me day one when I started lifting and coaching power lifters, and I've just carried that because it seems to work pretty well. So every week four, we have a three-day week, 80% squats, 80% bench, 80% deadlifts for four or five sets, doubles, triples, whatever we're doing. Um, and that's literally every fourth week. As a meet gets closer, so in our second and third phases of training, we have higher frequency stuff. So we'll bench and deadlift on day three, and then we squat and deadlift on day four. So you're getting much greater exposures of the lifts themselves. On bench, we still always do two times per week throughout the year, but squat and deadlift tends to vary a little bit more. So they're getting more exposures of the squat and deadlift during this phase of training. Um, and what I think this helps do is it just gives you more spots to help build these skills. And as a competition draws closer, the rep work we're doing on those later days in the week are competition lifts themselves. So they're getting a lot of exposure to the competition lifts, especially leading up into the competition. But it always makes up at least 20% of our total volume. So on top of that... The lifters at Westside, they will maximize what they can get out of an exercise in one week. So they will not see progress of a max effort exercise go into two or three weeks. Earlier in the writings of Louie and Powerlifting USA, he talked about having max effort lifts in there for two and three weeks. So it is something that they utilize, but over time, as the lifters get stronger and stronger, it had to be one week. So for us, we're still probably behind where he was when he was doing it for two time, uh, keeping the exercise in there for two weeks. So holding that two week and Shaco had always said anything more 
than lifting 90% or higher for two to three weeks, and you're going to start to see some diminishing returns. So that two week just seems to be that that safe window for our programs, I felt. So in week one, we'll do a max effort exercise. Week two, we'll do the same exercise again, but we'll do sub-max weights of it. So we might take 70% of that week one number and hit a five by five. And then week three, we beat week one by five pounds. So this couple of things here. One, beginner and intermediates are going to get progress out of the same variation for two weeks. But in order for them to really draw everything out of an exercise um, later on, so once they become advanced, if I really want them to get every ounce of performance out of an exercise that they're going to see one time and not see again for maybe six or more weeks, they need to have the technical execution necessary to really get the most out of it. So those week two reps allow them to really develop that skill. So let's say we're doing a safety squat bar box squat with with chains, right? Now, most beginners, as it gets heavier, the knees start sliding forward um, as they go to the box, even though we're supposed to sit back because they probably don't have the posterior chain strength development yet to really hold that under heavy weights. Uh, Maybe their back's rounding a little bit with the SSB. Like there are things we need to work on so that over the course of time, they're sitting back in that box. Their their back is staying strong so that eventually when they're in a, a more advanced lifter and we're doing this one time per week, they are extracting every ounce of performance out of that one exercise. So those reps help them develop that technique within those lifts there to start making their way towards that. And then the other two weeks, you know, week three beating week one by five pounds is going to teach you how to compete. And then we have our competition lifts thrown in the week after. So we throw stuff in the middle there to develop those skills. And also most beginners and intermediates need to put on more muscle mass. So having a little bit more volume in the program is going to be more beneficial to them than if I didn't. So really important that you have this as a coach you have this viewpoint of where they need to go and understand where they are now and then you start kind of like filling in filling in those points so now i'm getting to the point on the team where there are some intermediate lifters that are pushing deeper into that intermediate status that need stuff that's a little bit different than the beginners and early intermediates so this is where we individualize training more so you might see let's say That intermediate lifter, that's like that lost lifter, right? A beginner, everything's going well, everything works, all that stuff, right? An advanced lifter just really understands the process, right? If they were brought up appropriately. It's that intermediate lifter that's progress is really stalling. It doesn't move as fast as they were as a beginner. They probably have some really big weaknesses in certain places that become very frustrating at times. Um, And they really don't have the training skill to navigate it or the experience to understand that like this is just kind of how it works. So what you might see with some intermediate lifters is their bench press technique, even some beginners, their bench press technique and bench press strength and stuff might be pretty good. And you might look at it and be like, okay, you can probably handle more max effort lifts with your bench press, but your squat's garbage. You're falling onto the box every time. Your, your stance is really narrow. You choose to be in a really narrow stance. Like there's some developmental stuff we need to work on there. So in that case there, I might give that lifter more max effort bench stuff, but keep more sub-max um, squat and deadlift stuff going in there. So it might be like a little combination of both. But as that lifter starts to mature and develop, and their technique looks good, 
and you know they're they're squatting with that wider stance. Their numbers are are moving good. They're they're showing signs of a, a good training skill and understanding of when to push, when to pull back, how to navigate max effort lifts. Because this is a really important concept too. A beginner and intermediate usually is just very emotional with that stuff. So they'll go in there and it'll be an RPE 10 and they're shaking and grinding. And the thing about like the shaking and grinding out refs, you won't shake and grind if you're well developed. So we shake on a deadlift and on a squat because the hips kind of transfer that weight to the lower back. And then we start shaking. And for us, that's not what we're looking to do. We want to... So the Russians, they would talk about sticking points and that shaking and stuff and just their whole explanation. Of course, this is... Um, translated but was it's just lack of coordination right so basically what they're saying is you know the hips aren't doing the work that they're supposed to do so the lifter's starting to shake and of course you know the work capacity tolerance of the lower back if that's the main mover in those cases the lower back gets beat up pretty consistently within this sport so it might not necessarily be um, the best way to be going about those max effort lifts now allowing them to do that occasionally I don't think there's a problem with that I think it teaches them heart it teaches them that they can push through and it shows this no quit attitude but they need to learn how to navigate those max effort lifts and they need to develop physically so that they can navigate those max effort lifts more appropriately um, but those beginners, they tend to be very emotional, right? So every max effort lift that they can really like push and grind out and it's really hard, they're fist pumping and they're, they're pumped. And then every one that they miss, they're down in the dumps. And like those emotional swings have a higher recovery cost. So we need to learn how to miss. We need to learn when to go for that five pound PR, when to pull back, when to use that information to pull back, use that information to be like, okay, well, this is what happened in this lift here. This is what I need to get better at this lift here. These are the, this is a compound supplemental exercise that's gonna help that and then back that up. So these are the small exercises that'll help that compound exercise. We're gonna put these into it. We're gonna do it for six weeks. We're gonna throw another tester in there and maybe repeat this one and, and see how it's working. So now they can navigate it a little bit more appropriately using the information. They're not too emotional about it. There's rational thinking. There's a training skill there. They're physically developed and capable of handling it. And that's when you get more and more max effort lifts that can start to be put in there. Um, but too often, you know, people be like, oh, West Side didn't work for me. West Side sucks. It's not specific. And then they'll be arguing for higher specificity and more um, sports specific, whatever that means, training, right? And there's a lot more to sports specificity than the lifts just looking like the competition lifts, right? Because I just mentioned so many things that we need to develop, right? Like building up certain areas. So if somebody is shaking a lot on a deadlift, all right, box squat's gonna build those hips and hamstrings, right? So that is specific to what I'm trying to develop with that lifter. So if somebody's hitting the hole slow, right? Or they're coming out of the hole and there's just not a lot of explosive force coming up. Now, of course, this could be a confidence issue, but maybe they just need to learn how to how to get that bar moving faster, right? So we use lighter bar weight and we use some bands and they learn how to use the bands to pull themselves down faster and then explode out, explode out, explode out. And they'll get more explosive over time. Now they're fast out of the bottom, right? Everybody wants to talk about bands over bands training the 
top of the lift. They don't train the top of the lift. They train incredible reversal strength. So because the bands are pulling you down faster than gravity, there's a lot of potential energy that then is converted into kinetic energy to stand up. And because of the accommodating resistance, proprioception's a thing. Okay, so your body is always talking, like your muscles are always talking with your brain. Right, so if the body knows that as leverages improve, it can slow down. This is what happens in competition lifts. It's called the peak contraction principle. So you will hit peak force where you have, you know, where weight is the heaviest and your muscle tension, uh, your muscle force is gonna have the worst amount of leverage. And then as leverages improve, deceleration actually occurs, right? So the brain gets trained that like, hey, after these angles, once this improves, I can kind of let let off the gas. So most people will realize this when they think about the first time they ever did bands and it felt like they were getting punched in the stomach once they got past that, that position of um, lowest amount of leverage. So what bands do is they accommodate that resistance so the body can't, the brain can't put on the brakes. So then what it does is it has to learn how to recruit more motor units sooner so that it can beat the bands. So motor units are recruited, uh, recruited from smallest to largest, right? And there's a time component to it. So if the brain knows that as leverages improve, it's still gonna keep driving upwards, it's gonna have to learn how to recruit more motor units sooner so they get more force sooner and you gonna have more speed coming out of the bottom. It trains the bottom part of the movement. Of course, we need the right amount of bar weight, the right amount of band tension to have the right speeds and technique and everything else that's occurring on the lifts themselves, but that's what it trains. So we need to develop these skills to get them up to a point where they can start doing more advanced programming, but the programming needs to grow with them over time. And there needs to be this plan for it. Um, so, you know, we have developed our system based off of beginners and intermediates doing this program. This is why we came to the conclusions that we came to and why my program differs from Westside's. It's not because I think Louis made a mistake in the way that he was making his programs. I think what Louis did was absolutely perfect for the people that he had in the environment in which he had them. I don't have the same people. I have people who've never participated in a sport their whole lives that do not have big totals, that aren't well developed, that need to get developed. There's just a big difference in the type of person, so the plan has to change just a little bit. But the end goal is to get to something that looks way more like what he did. He already laid out what to do with more advanced and elite lifters. And I know I get the whole like, oh, equipment and drugs, but let's put it this way. If you're squatting 1,200 pounds in multiply equipment, what do you think that person's squatting raw? Let's even say they get 400 pounds out of that equipment, right? And my guess is they can squat over 800 pounds. I, my guess is Dave Hoff has a greater than 800 pound squat, but that's just a guess. Let's say he squats 800 pounds, but it's high. It's an inch or two high. Is that still not strong? Like to me, if you can squat 800 pounds, I don't care if it's an inch or too high, you're doing something that's developing some strength. I can make those adjustments that I need to for the depth of that lift to be able to transfer what I'm learning from that person to the group that I need to coach to get them on the platform to get white lights in the federations in which we compete. But at some point, strong is strong. It's not the equipment, it's not the drugs. There's a reason why they're stronger than other gyms out there. It's the training program, the environment. There's so many things that go into it. Um, so 
for us, we just don't have those same people. This is why we do it differently. It's not because I'm smarter than Louie. I disagree with certain things that he did. It's just we deal with different people. But I did write a... Um, an article on the Precision Powerlifting website that kind of sums this up a little bit. I also have a lot of videos on Strength School, um, which that link can be found in my bio at KWCAN and even on, which is on Instagram, and then even on the Precision Powerlifting Systems Instagram page as well. Stay strong, Boston.